a new year full of surprises. But one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services. So when postage goes up, your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com is like your own personal post office, wherever you are. You can even take orders on the go with the mobile app. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Schedule package pickups, automatically find the cheapest and fastest shipping options, and seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. There's even a supply store where you can stock up on mailing supplies, labels, even printers. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. All you need is a computer or phone and printer. Take a chunk out of your mailing and shipping costs this year with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. everybody. Welcome back to Crime Weekly. I'm Stephanie Harlow. And I'm Derek Lavasser. All right. So today we are diving into part six of the Kaylee Anthony series. And there is some some evidence in this in this episode that I'm excited to talk to you about to get your take on it. You know, the detective perspective. Is there anything you want to say to these lovely people before we we dive in? No, I, I think we always say it at the end. So I'll start at the beginning. Appreciate all the love and support. If you're not already, we see a lot of unique viewers. Like, comment, subscribe on the video. If you're watching on audio, take two seconds to leave a, a rating and a comment. We'd really appreciate it. If you're listening on audio. Yeah, there you go. That too. Leave a rating if you're listening on audio. And if you're listening on audio and you haven't been to our YouTube channel yet, go to YouTube. Just type in Crime Weekly. Subscribe to us. That way, if you miss us on audio, you'll see us on Crime Weekly the following Wednesday on our YouTube channel. And uh, some people even like to listen to the audio. And then when the video comes out, they like to watch the video because it's a much different experience. There's pictures, maps, things like that. You can see, you know, me and Derek going back and forth. You can see my, I guess, infamous facial expressions, which... We do, we do have a lot of visuals to support what we're talking about. Like a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about the cell towers. And if you're listening to me talk about it, you're probably, maybe you're following it. But the the visuals, I saw a couple of comments where people like, okay, as soon as the it came up, I got it. I seen the overlap. I seen how you triangulate a person's location in between those towers. So it definitely helps people. And um, you know, speaking of visual, uh, shout out. I will give them a shout out today. Squadcast, if you're noticing, there's probably no flickering today. I was going back and forth with them as of late last week, and apparently, apparently they fixed it. You guys will ultimately let us know. From my testing, it does look like they fixed it, and we're super pumped about it because you guys are spending sometimes two hours with us, maybe even more. We want it to be an enjoyable experience. If you're watching on, on YouTube, we put a lot of time and effort into this, so to, as we explained last week, to have something out of our control affect that, it was tough. But they fixed it fairly quickly, so give credit where credit's due. Uh, hopefully, it stays that way. Knock on wood. <laughs> Yo, if you did that in my house, my dogs would have just gone crazy. <laughs> like knocking on a desk, accidentally hitting your knee on the desk, the dogs start barking like we're getting robbed. Well, everybody who's watching this on their TV right now or listening to it on their speakers, their dogs are probably going crazy. I know. Look what you did. Yeah. <laughs> appreciate it all. Thank you. Squadcast, thank you. Patrons, thank you. Everybody, thank you. 
ready for the episode. All right. So when we left off last time, we kind of went through Casey Anthony's infamous uh, tour of Universal Studios and they get her back to the police station. Right. And they they shut her in a room and they're like, what the hell are we going to do with this girl? They're all out there talking and then they decide, let's arrest her. We, we don't have evidence that she hurt her daughter. We don't have evidence that she was responsible for her daughter Kaylee's disappearance but we do have evidence of neglect. So let's kind of use that to hold her here, make sure she doesn't run away, make sure she doesn't hurt herself and and make sure that we have her here in case we do have that evidence or an encounter that evidence that allows us to upgrade her charges. Right. And they do that a lot. I think police sometimes they'll like arrest you on a lesser charge because they don't have the evidence yet to get you for the charge they really want to get you for. And they're just kind of hoping that while you're sitting in prison or jail, they'll come across that evidence where they can now, you know, bring the real charges against you. Yeah, something to hold you. It obviously has to be a supported charge. You know what I mean? Uh, nothing nefarious there, but yeah. Nothing trumped up, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They have something where it's a legitimate thing where it's like, hey, listen, we're trying to just hold them for another 24 hours. You know, if they get arrested and it's something that needs to, where they need to be arraigned, it may give them time overnight to gather whatever statements or or, or process whatever evidence to bring additional charges before that arraignment the next day. Yeah, and I think that having Casey in jail also made the police feel better that maybe she's not going to go home and start getting rid of evidence. You know, they had already gotten her laptop and, and figured out it had been wiped. And now they have her in prison, so now she can't do that. And they are recording her calls, right, and her her visits with people so they'll know if she instructs somebody to do something like that. So it's also a preservation of whatever evidence out there does exist. It's a good point. They might have been getting additional search warrants, things like that, and those do take time, mm-hmm. some, you know, in some situations. So... You're right. Not having her out there being able to kind of cover up her tracks before they're able to get those search warrants could definitely be an aspect to it. All right. So the thing that finally needed to happen, it had happened. Casey Anthony was behind bars and there were dozens of people out looking for her young daughter, who by this time had been missing for over a month. Casey was arrested on July 16th, 2008, around 4.30 in the afternoon. She was charged with child neglect and obstructing a criminal investigation. On July 17th, Florida attorney Jose Baez received a message from his secretary that a potential client wanted to meet with him at the Orange County Jail. Now let's take a minute and talk about who Jose Baez is. He grew up in the Bronx, New York, uh, where he and his three sisters were raised by a single mother. I think his father kind of walked out on the family when he was about four, so he didn't really grow up with a father. And then the family moved to Florida, where Baez attended the Homestead School before dropping out in the ninth grade and enlisting in the Navy. So Jose Baez ended up getting his GED and attending community college before transferring to Florida State University and then St. Thomas University, which is a law school in Miami. After law school, he got an internship at the Miami-Dade Public Defender's Office, where his supervisor, Rick DiMaria, remembered him to be a very zealous young attorney who, quote, was receptive to feedback about how to become a better trial lawyer, end quote. Jose Baez was known to be aggressive and always ready for a fight. At that time, many public defenders would default to cutting deals, but Baez wanted to be in the courtroom. He worked on 34 cases as a legal intern, and friends said that he would often cut out of classes early during the O.J. Simpson trial because he was completely taken in by the charismatic and cunning attorneys like Johnny Cochran and Robert Shapiro. But even though Baez completed law school in 1997, he was not accepted into the Florida bar until 2005. 
So what had happened is Jose Baez met a girl in a Miami club and he got her pregnant when he was just 17. So he married her, but they got divorced when he was 23. And when Baez applied to the Florida bar, he found out his ex-wife had notified them that he had not been paying child support to her and his teenage daughter. And so he was denied entry. The board also noted that Jose Baez had attended a diversion program to avoid a criminal charge of writing a bad check, something that he had failed to disclose when he'd initially applied. But he also failed to disclose the fact that he had an assault charge on his record. The Florida Supreme Court later backed this decision on appeal, and they stated that Baez had shown a total lack of respect for the rights of others and a total lack of respect for the legal system. He was also strapped at this time with over $100,000 in student loans, so finding a way to bring in some money was essential. Baez began working as an investigator. He was also associated with two bikini-selling companies, Bonbon Bikinis and BrazilianBikinis.com, and he worked for LexisNexis. So LexisNexis is a legal uh, so website software thing where if you're a lawyer or um, a paralegal or something, you can search through different court cases and get all the details and things. So he worked for them. LexisNexis is a go-to for me. Use it every every day almost. It's called Accurant. It's something that law enforcement uses every single day. So if you have the proper credentials and you're in a position of authority, you can search individuals for their uh, bank records, for their social security numbers, previous addresses, previous workplaces that they might be associated with, relatives, neighbors. There's, It's actually, I've talked to you about this off camera. Because I'm jealous of your, your LexisNexis abilities. Yeah, t- <laughs> talking about what type of access you have to individuals. In, in, and it has to be in a legal capacity. It has to be for investigative purposes. It's monitored by multiple agencies to make sure it's not being abused. I know there are even, not to get off the beaten path, there are times where someone who has access to LexisNexis uses it to find like the address of like a celebrity or something. I've heard stories where they've literally searched this person and within hours, like LexisNexis is reaching out to him and wanting to come to a physical visit to see like they're set up and all that stuff and make sure, you know, because they'll take away your privileges like that. So very powerful tool. Um, and, and like you said, you're right. Lawyers, everyone has access to this to a certain degrees. But at the law enforcement level, the the abilities to search people and identify someone or find out their background, really powerful tool. Yeah, I'm jealous. I wish I had it so bad. I mean... You can pay for it like as a just a civilian, but you're not you're not getting access to the things that I would like to have access to for the purposes of research and things like that. You could see how you would be great with it, but you could definitely see how someone would abuse it, the power. hundred percent. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it's definitely a process. They they check on your the, your ability to encrypt things and how to store personal data in your home office or at your business so that God forbid you're hacked or anything, the people that you're looking for legitimately, um, their data, their personal information isn't exposed. Damn, it kind of makes me uncomfortable that Jose Baez worked for them. <laughs> I wonder what he... <laughs> I didn't know that. It was interesting that you said it because as soon as I saw the name and I heard it, I was like, oh, man, that's, that's a company that's a good company. Yeah, my husband went to law school and he used to use it in school for, you know, they would have to do mock trials and things. And Oh, yeah. I, I want it so bad. <laughs> so we got to get you your PI license. I know. Or, you know, I'll just go and become a lawyer. Not pra- not practice law, just for LexisNexis. <laughs> I'll tell you what, you know, PI license, three years of law school, you choose whatever you Maybe want. Maybe a little easier. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> so Baez was finally admitted to the Florida board in 2005, and then he opened a small private practice in Kissimmee, Florida, out of a strip mall, and he worked as a defense attorney. And he began to take on cases that many considered to be unwinnable. I mean, to be fair and honest, he didn't win a lot of them. For instance, he defended a man named Nilton Diaz, who had murdered his girlfriend's two-year-old daughter. During the trial, Jose Baez made a strange choice when he told the Orlando Sentinel that he was not going to defend Diaz. He was going to prosecute Diaz's girlfriend, the child's mother, whom Baez claimed had treated her daughter like an animal. But during the trial, jurors saw Diaz's police interrogation tape where Diaz had told the authorities that he'd never seen the woman mistreat her child. In fact, he said she was a good mother who spoiled the little girl, and then he was sentenced to 15 years for manslaughter. Uh, Diaz tried to appeal because he said he had bad counsel, and that was denied, and he went to prison. So after representing Casey Anthony, Baez would go on to defend many unsavory clients, like Aaron Hernandez on a double murder charge, and Harvey Weinstein. I mean, there's no more that needs to be said about Harvey Weinstein. What a scumbag. So when Casey Anthony was asked how she came to hire Jose Baez, she said, quote, it kind of happened at random in booking. I heard a couple of people talking about an attorney. His name came up and I said, if he's good, can you do me a favor and pass my name along? It was an inmate and there was three other people that confirmed it, end quote. In his book, Presumed Guilty, Jose Baez wrote about the first time he met Casey Anthony. He said, quote, I saw this tiny, attractive, hip-looking girl with short, dark hair and greenish eyes in her early 20s. She was no more than five feet tall, weighed 105 pounds soaking wet, and looked totally out of place in jail. She wasn't your typical inmate. She was dressed in jail blues, but very well kept. Most of my clients, both male and female, are a little rougher around the edges, more streetwise. That was not Casey. In this business, you mostly run across people who have been through the system. They're much more hardened. I could see Casey was a first-timer, end quote. I mean, everyone's a first-timer at one point, right? <laughs> so, yeah, so at one point, yeah. Just give her some time. I'm sure she'll harden right up. But anyways, Jose Baez said that he was surprised that a judge had determined that Casey should be held without bond at that point because he felt that they didn't have enough evidence to to do that, to hold her there. But, you know, we've already gone over the reasons they probably decided to do that. And she hadn't even she hadn't even had her bond hearing yet. So, so just because I wasn't very familiar with Jose Baez until... Casey Anthony. And I wasn't sure if he was maybe like a high profile attorney who knew this case was going to be high profile. So he wanted to latch on to it. Or from what it sounds like, from what you just laid out, it seems as if cases like Aaron Hernandez and uh, Harvey Weinstein and some of the other cases that you've heard him being associated with, what kind of put him on the map was the acquittal of Casey Anthony. And I hate to say this, but that's that's why this case is so fascinating for a lot of people, because to the normal person watching this trial and hearing the facts and circumstances of this case, most people are like, oh, she's guilty. And yet you and I are sitting here and she's a free woman and will never be charged for the murder of Kaylee Anthony. And so I think there are individuals who may have committed crimes who are drawn to that because they're like, hey, if he can get her off. He can surely get me off. So it does seem like, although there was a lot of ups and downs with this trial, Baez really benefited from this acquittal monetarily since then. A hundred percent he did. He was virtually unknown. Uh, like I said, he worked out of a strip mall at that time. You know, he was Hispanic, obviously, or he is Hispanic. He's not gone. 
He's, yeah. he's still here. So he's Hispanic. He is Hispanic. Uh, his parents are from Puerto Rico. You know, so many of his clients, most of his clients at that time were also Hispanic. He kind of stayed in, in his community. And then he steps outside with Casey because he knew it was going to be a big case. That's why he took it. Right. And he said when he got there, there was already a public defender there who had been called in for Casey. And Jose Baez was like, well, I'm meeting with her. And the public defender was like, all right, uh, I just want to make sure she didn't say anything without a lawyer present. I'm going to take off now. But the way Casey came to hire Jose Baez, I've always found it to be a little sketchy. I think there's something there that we're not we're not hearing something there we don't know about. But I can't prove it, so it doesn't matter. But just for like what some prisoners were like, you should hire Jose Baez. And she was like, yeah, let me call him. I mean, the dude was expensive still. You know, I think there was a $5,000 retainer and she didn't have two cents to rub together. Who paid the retainer? She paid the retainer, allegedly. Okay. All right. Yeah. And I've heard the rumors, too. I mean, we don't have to beat around it. There's been and you're probably going to get into it tonight, I'm assuming. Are you or not? Because it's more rumors. I'm not going to get into it tonight. It's going to be sort of a side note. But yeah, there was an investigator who was working for Jose Baez, you know, on, on Casey's behalf, who said that he saw. Well, I guess Jose Baez had gotten Casey out of a speaking engagement she didn't want to be a part of. And he heard Jose Baez hang up the phone and then tell Casey basically like, I got you out of this. Like, now you have to give me a blowjob. And, you know, she was like, Haha, OK. And then one day, what time this guy comes in the office and Casey like runs out of Jose Bias's office like naked. And the investigator said he talked to her and he was like, listen, you know, like you don't have to have sex with him or be sexual with him to pay for for your money that you owe him. Like he's been selling pictures of you and Kaylee to like the media and he's making a lot of money off of that. And she was like, oh, okay, it won't happen again. You know, but once again, this is alleged. Yeah, it's all, of course. Yeah. And then this guy went on to write a book about Casey Anthony. So it could have been financially motivated. Money. It could have been a money grab. He just made it up. I mean, although I, I would say I wouldn't put it past Casey or Jose Baez. I think that they are a match made in heaven. Honestly, they should have gotten married and, and been together forever and then took each other off the market for other normal people. In my opinion, I mean, and I don't think that's a far fetch what you're saying. I don't think it's a, any Casey hate or whatever, although there's plenty of that to go around. But I think based on what we've laid out over these last six parts, this is her currency. Th- this is that's her currency. And she's used it in many occasions, some of which we know about, some we don't. Some were some failed attempts, like, you know, with the detectives and things like that, where if she had shown some interest in Jose, could he had maybe reciprocated? We don't know. It's all alleged, but I think it's I think. That's enough there to, you know, for the people out there who are like, yeah, they were having sex. That's why it went the way it did. You know, we brought it up. There's really not much to investigate. It's all it's all rumors and speculation. But I, I do, you know, remember we we will touch on it. Um, Casey's parents said we didn't hire him and they didn't really want her to hire him because they would meet with her in jail. And at one point they were like, you know, if you want to even Lee Anthony, they were like, if you want to get a new lawyer, if you want to pick another horse, like just inform the court, nobody's going to blame you for that. So they clearly felt a little weird about him as well, for whatever reason. Maybe maybe because they knew he was going to try to throw them under the bus later. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> maybe they felt like the little bit of the distance between him where he was he didn't want to get close to them because he's like, I might have to use you guys. He's like, I can't be friends because I'm probably going to accuse you falsely of something <laughs> later. So <laughs> might need you might need an out. <laughs> exactly. Let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. A new year full of surprises. But one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services. So when postage goes up, 
your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com is like your own personal post office, wherever you are. You can even take orders on the go with the mobile app. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Schedule package pickups, automatically find the cheapest and fastest shipping options, and seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. There's even a supply store where you can stock up on mailing supplies, labels, even printers. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. All you need is a computer or phone and printer. Take a chunk out of your mailing and shipping costs this year with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. All right, so during Casey's first day in jail, she spoke to three people. Now, you probably think, you know, she's frantically calling around to see if there was news about her missing daughter, you know, now that the police, the experts were on the case. But in fact, that was not her main priority or a concern to her at all, in my opinion. She was trying to find someone who would give her Tony Lazaro's phone number, Tony Lazaro, her boyfriend. Now, the first call she made and the only call she made was to Cindy Anthony. But before she asked Cindy for Tony's number, Casey decided to rip into her. Now, Cindy had... Uh, talked to some news reporters. And during one of these interviews, she had mentioned that she didn't know what her daughter Casey's involvement was in Kaylee's disappearance. Casey? Mom. Hey, sweetie. Oh, well, I just saw your nice little cameo on TV. Which one? What do you mean, which one? Which one? I did four different ones, and I don't know. I haven't seen them all. I've only seen one or two so far. You don't know what my involvement is in stuff? Casey. Mom. What? No. I don't know what your involvement is, sweetheart. You, you're not telling me where she's at. Because I don't f***ing know where she's at. Are you kidding me? Casey, don't waste your call. No. Scream and holler at waste me. Waste my call sitting in, oh, the, the jail? Whose fault is... Are? Whose fault is you sitting in the jail? Are you blaming me that you're sitting in the jail? Not Blame yourself fault. for telling lies. You mean it's not your fault? What do you mean it's not your fault, sweetheart? If you'd have told them the truth... They're not lied about everything. They wouldn't. Do me a favor. Just tell me what Tony's number is. I don't want to talk to you right now. Forget it. Okay. So then Casey gets on the phone with Lee, who's also there. And he kind of gives it to her a bit, right? And he's not really going easy on her. And then Lee passes the phone to Casey's friend, Christina Chester, who Casey feels will give her a better chance of getting Tony's number, I guess. But when Christina begins to get emotional about Kaylee, Casey gets very annoyed and she says, you know, this was a waste. This was a waste to call you guys. Hi, I'm glad everybody's at my house. I'll have to call you later. I'll have to call somebody to get your number. Do me a favor, get my brother back because I need Tony's number. Okay. Um, is there anything I can do for you? I'm sitting in jail. There's nothing anybody can do right now. Well, I'm just trying to be... Oh, I know you are, honey. I, I absolutely know that you are, and I appreciate everything that you're trying to do, but I, I'd like to call Tony. He's not at my house, is he? No. Okay. No, it's just me and your parents. And Lee. Okay. Well, can you do me a favor and get my brother back or get the number from him, please? Um, do, does Tony have anything to do with Kaylee? No. Nothing. Okay. So why do you want to talk to Tony? I, you don't want to, you probably don't want to tell me, do you? Huh? You probably don't want to tell me, do you? What do you, well, I didn't hear what you said. I said, does Tony have anything to do with Kaylee? No, Tony has nothing to do with Kaylee. Oh, so I, why,
because they're blaming me for stuff that I never would do, that I didn't do. Okay. Well, I'm on nobody. I'm on your side. You know that. Oh, honey, I know that. I just want to talk to Tony and get a little bit of... Casey, you have to tell me if you know anything about Kaylee. Wait, if anything happens with Kaylee, Casey, I'll die. You understand? I'll die. If anything happens to that baby. Oh, my God. Calling you guys? A waste. Huge waste. Honey, I love you. You know I would not let anything happen to my daughter. If I knew where she was, this wouldn't be going on. All right. So that was was her conversation with her friend Christina Chester. And excuse my language, but Casey is a miserable bitch. Like, her friend's so upset. She's like, if anything happens to, to Kaylee, I would die. Like, that's how that's how Casey should be sounding. That's what Casey should be saying. And Casey's response is to be just annoyed by that. Like, oh my God, I should never have called you. What a waste. How awful. Just the whole, again, you're in jail and you're more concerned about communicating with your... She sounds like a high school girl. A freaking spoiled Absolute child. kid. And even her condescending tone the whole time. Oh, honey, I, honey, I know. Honey, I know. But when Christina got upset, which was super genuine, instead of also getting upset, which I would do, like when anyone talks about something that I'm also feeling, you know, if somebody starts to cry, you start to cry. Not Casey. She got annoyed by it. Yeah. Oh, dude, I don't want to hear you cry. I I can't do this anymore. I can't do this right now. I don't want to talk about Kaylee. Like, come on, man. Yeah. Unbelievable to hear that. And this is the same day she's arrested. This is the same day as the Universal Studios thing, like the same day she's arrested. And she just has no concern for Kaylee at all. I'm so blown. I'm so blown away by that. I mean, for this, there's so many different things that are running through my head as far as like her lack of emotion, what her concern is, which is Tony, not Kaylee, not the fact that she's basically being arrested for child neglect. None of that. It's all like, I just want to talk to Tony. And, and, and let's talk, you know, be honest here. It's not like Tony's been her boyfriend for 20 years. No. I mean, this is a relatively new relationship and that's your concern. It's like she doesn't know how she sounds, you know? She doesn't. She doesn't realize how bad she sounds. And does does Casey honestly think that Tony Lazaro is just going to like stand by her side while she's going on trial for for murdering her two-year-old daughter? Like, what does she think? Where Where does she think this relationship is going that she puts her daughter and her disappearance on the back burner because she's just got to talk to her freaking boyfriend so bad? No, that's the problem, right? Like, her concern is totally in an area where it shouldn't be. She's not calling them saying, hey, Christina, is there any updates on the media? Are you hearing, like... The police are in on it now. Like, did they tell you anything? Are they tracking down Zanny? Like, do they have any leads? Yes. I thought of something else that could help, like, tell them nothing. Nothing. It's like, I just need Tony's number. Her concern is about losing Tony because of the allegations against her. There's no mention, no question about, hey, I know what I'm seeing, but are you hearing anything as far as, you know, what they're currently doing in the investigation? And you can hear it in Christina's voice, too. They know without knowing it, and they know it because they know Casey. They know who she is. They can tell by her mannerisms, Lee, Cindy, they know that she's lying. I don't know, man. I don't know. They keep defending her. They keep I'm telling her. you, I'm telling you, Cindy and George, although they were not the best, they didn't make the best parental decisions. My opinion is a lot of it was things they saw and ignored or were blinded by their love for her. And there was always something that was probably off. And they said, you know, this, this girl just doesn't get it. And when they're asking her questions about Kaylee, they're probably seeing similar mannerisms and responses that they saw back when she was younger and lied about certain things that they caught her on. So I think deep down, although they may be hoping for a different outcome, I think deep down, I don't think they believe that she killed Kaylee, but they know she's not telling the truth. 
They know there's more to the story, which is why Christine is trying to get through to her because Cindy's probably saying she's not going to talk to me. They don't know what happened, but they know there's more to the story that Casey's not sharing. And that's why you hear Christina throwing, throwing stuff at the wall and trying to see what sticks. Is Tony involved? Is there more about Tony? You can tell me. And then even when, you know, Casey tries to get off of it, Christina goes back to it. Listen, Casey, you can tell me, you can tell me what happened to Kaylee. They, they know deep down there's, there's something that Casey's not telling him at this point. It might be a tough pill to swallow. They're probably hoping that it's not the worst case scenario. And, and you can tell they still have hope. That's why Christine is crying like that. Um, and so I think deep down they know, they know Kaylee's in trouble. Well, Cindy and George Anthony have a weird way of showing that, but uh, let's continue. While Casey, yes. while Casey was busy being the person who cared the least about where her daughter was, the police were still trying to locate Zaneda Fernandez Gonzalez, the nanny that Casey had claimed was in possession of Kaylee. So while investigating at the Sawgrass Apartments, that was where Casey claimed she had dropped Kaylee off, Detective Yuri Melik had been told that no one by that name had ever lived there, but someone with that name had looked at an apartment there the previous April. So Yuri Melik thought it was worth following up on, and he called this woman who ended up living about 30 minutes away from Orlando in Kissimmee, Florida. This Zaneda was 42 years old with six children, so she didn't really fit the description of Kaylee's nanny, who was childless and in her 20s. But detectives paid her a visit at her house anyways. She was shown pictures of Kaylee and Casey, but she said she had never met them in her life. This Zaneda's picture was also included in a lineup of pictures that would be shown to Casey in jail. And Casey couldn't identify her daughter's nanny in that selection of photos. Now, as far as we can tell, the, the police did look into this woman pretty deeply. She had nothing to do with what had happened to little Kaylee. She had previously been in trouble with the law for some credit card fraud and for selling Four loco to minors. Remember Four loco It was like an energy drink slash alcoholic drink that, that they yeah, had to like outlaw because it was making people go crazy, mm-hmm. making people go loco. Uh, but besides that, you know, there was no evidence that this Zaneda had ever met anyone in the Anthony family. And she would later file a defamation lawsuit against Casey Anthony, claiming that her name will now and forever be tied to what happened to poor Kaylee, which I mean... It is right. Like, I do see her point there. Yeah. And I don't know. I know there are people out there that do believe maybe there's some truth to this. But I think for all of you who believe, you know, Casey's telling the truth. I, you know, there is Zaneda. This is the woman. She just pretended, as Stephanie just said, don't overlook it. Casey was shown a photo pack, whether it was six or eight people. She was shown a lineup that contained this specific Zaneda. And Casey couldn't identify her. She didn't point her out as Zanny the nanny. So don't take our word for it. Don't take anybody else's word out there for it. Take Casey's word for it. Because if this was, in fact, Zanny the nanny, it would have taken her 0.2 seconds to say, yeah, that's her right there. How this name came up, it was probably through the investigator's due diligence, maybe a little bit of luck. Maybe Casey had seen this name on something before. and that. Who knows? But clearly, there is no connection to this woman, not because I'm coming to that conclusion. Again, it's Casey telling us that this Zanny, the nanny that we're looking for, is not the Zaneda Gonzalez. It's not her. Yeah. And Casey had said that Zaneda was in her 20s. And when Jose Baez had initially asked Casey about Zaneda, he said, you know, tell me about her. What does she look like? And Casey said, oh, she's a perfect 10. And Jose Baez was like, well, you know, usually women who are perfect 10s stand out. You know, people notice them. So 
Like, are you sure? And I have a hard time believing that a woman who had kidnapped and murdered a two-year-old child would then file a civil lawsuit against Casey Anthony, because now you're exposing yourself more. Like, during a civil lawsuit, you're going to have to prove that this isn't you. So it's going to go deeper, and there's going to be more, you know, looking into it. If this Zaneda had anything to do with what happened to Kaylee, she would have caught and run. She wouldn't be, like, filing lawsuits, you know, putting herself in court and under a microscope. Not. Yeah. And for the purpose of what we're talking about here, Casey was diming Zaneda out. She was saying, Zany the nanny has my kid. And yet she did not point her out in that photo lineup, which some might say, oh, she was nervous. She had already di- she already exposed her. She already snitched on her, however you want to put it. So why wouldn't she just say, yeah, that's her right there. Did you guys find her yet? That's her. Right. She didn't know that was her. Because there is no Zanny the Nanny. I mean, we're at the point in the series now where we can start coming to some conclusions. And just to go a little bit ahead, this is why at trial they changed the narrative. They changed the reasonable doubt aspect of it because Jose Baez was reading and seeing exactly what you guys are hearing and seeing and realized, just like you're probably realizing, this is not a viable option. This is not going to work for any reasonable person on a jury for the re- for everything that we're laying out right now. So obviously keep that in mind as we go forward because it doesn't take a genius to figure out very quickly that Casey's full of shit. <laughs> and and that and that's why, you know, I, I don't blame Zanny at all as an at all for filing a lawsuit because although there was nothing to connect her, there are people out there, I've seen it as I'm researching this as we're talking about it, who do believe she is involved somehow, which yeah, is crazy to me. It's crazy. Uh, she's going to file a civil lawsuit against you for calling her Zanny, man. <laughs> All right. I mean, sorry. My bad. Sorry, ma'am. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. All right. So as all of this is happening, a forensic investigation was also underway. Crime scene investigator Gerardo Bloise had received Casey's Pontiac Sunfire along with a black plastic bag of items that Cindy Anthony had removed from the vehicle. The garbage bag that had been in Casey's trunk and had been thrown into the dumpster at Johnson's Wreckers lot had also been retrieved and turned over to Bloise. So we did have some comments about that in uh, the last video. People wondering, did the police ever retrieve that bag, that garbage bag that was thrown out? Yes, they did. And they looked through it and they had it forensically tested. So let's start with the car, which had been sealed until it had arrived at the forensics garage and opened by CSI. Bloise would later testify that when he opened the passenger side door, he was hit with a smell that he described as the odor of decomposition. On the front passenger seat, he found a brown belt, sunglasses and a black case containing CDs. Kaylee's car seat was in the right rear passenger seat. And next to it were two pairs of women's shoes, both in the color black. Moving on to the trunk, where Bloise found the smell was much worse, even though someone had apparently placed a dryer sheet in the trunk, possibly in an effort to mask the smell. It was also clear that the trunk had been vacuumed recently, but Bloise found some dirt, some sort of dirt residue throughout the fabric, and there was a stain on the right side of the trunk, so Bloise cut two pieces from the D-shaped particle board spare tire cover. He also collected a hair from that area, as well as from the middle area of the trunk liner, and four hairs from the left side of the trunk area, as well as another that was found on the directional light wire of the Pontiac. 
once that was done and the evidence had been collected and sealed, Detective Jason Forgey and his cadaver dog, Jiris, were brought in. Jiris circled the car once before sniffing aggressively at it and trying to get into it. When the door to the car was opened, Jiris jumped in and then tried to get into the trunk from the back seat. Jairus then jumped out of the car, circled it once more, and then alerted on the trunk again. The trunk was opened, and Jairus attempted to jump inside of the trunk. Next, the CSI team and Jairus went to the Anthony home on Hope Spring Drive. George Anthony had told the police that he had located some fresh earth covering a newly dug hole that was about 12 inches long and 5 inches deep near the shed. Jairus was not evidently interested in this hole, but he did alert near Kaylee's playhouse. Officials decided to double-check Jairus's work by bringing in another cadaver dog from a neighboring county, and this dog also alerted to the playhouse and playground, the same places that Jairus had been interested in, as well as in an area near the patio. Law enforcement checked all of those areas but found no evidence of human remains. Now, in the black bag of items that had been found in Casey's car— There was a doll, Kaylee's favorite doll. There was a backpack, a child's toothbrush, some papers, and a dinner knife. There had also been a blue plastic crate and plastic clothes hangers in the car. The white garbage bag that had been retrieved from the tow yard held a tin of Copenhagen chewing tobacco, an empty bottle of Arm & Hammer liquid detergent, aluminum foil, part of a broken plastic hanger, a ton of papers, documents, empty soda cans and beer cans, one hairpin, three plastic tie wraps, an empty Oscar Mayer plastic container, several dryer sheets, empty containers of crystal light, a cut-up pizza box filled with maggots, a receipt from Fusion Ultra Lounge, a document from Full Sail University, remember that's where Anthony Lazaro attended college, and a crystal light plastic bottle containing brown liquid, that was not crystal light, and a cardboard Velveeta container. The hair and the carpet samples from the Pontiac were sent to the FBI lab in Quantico for testing, along with DNA samples from Casey, Kaylee, Cindy, George, and Lee Anthony. First impression, based on the the layout of what you're telling about what was in the garbage bag, what I was looking for was to see if maybe there was going to be you know some type of food in there, some rotting food that would possibly give off the same type of smell you would have with a decomposing body, there's nothing. So that can't be used as the reason why the car smelt the way it smelt. As far as the dogs, I hit on this before with Lacey Peterson. It's not a guarantee. I like the fact that they brought in two different dogs to kind of affirm what the first dog had had come up with. So that's good because again, there is a, um, a margin of error with dogs, how they're feeling that day, how well they're trained, their accuracy, all that good stuff. So But this is things that are are very well known throughout the true crime community as far as the cadaver dogs hitting on certain areas of the vehicle that would be suggestive that Kaylee at some point was placed into that trunk and transported to the location where she was ultimately found. And as far as we know, no one else had possession of that Pontiac Sunfire other than Casey. I will say one thing that just kind of caught my attention is the chewing tobacco. I would like to know you're nodding your head. So maybe you already have an answer to this, but you know, I would like to know who the chewing tobacco belonged to because you know, I don't know if we're going to find that Um, Casey was a, um, a tobacco chewer. I don't think it, she doesn't come off as one, but that would be something I'd want to look into that may be relevant, may not be, but as you're doing your due diligence, it would, would be something I would want to investigate. 
I think the chewing tobacco ended up being Tony's or like one of his friends. She did not chew tobacco. Right. And and it could be as simple as that. There may be nothing to it, but you wouldn't be doing your job if there was something in there that would be, you know, you might be able to get a DNA profile off of it or something. But again, there's nothing that suggests the garbage bag is tied to what happened to Kaylee other than the fact that it's in the trunk. Um, and so I stand behind what I said when you initially brought it up as far as the trash being something to try to uh, explain the smell that everyone was pointing out to Casey. Well, there actually were some paper towels found in that garbage bag that do have some evidence on them. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Okay, good. So on July 22nd, Casey appeared in court next to her attorney for her bond hearing. Yuri Malik and his team told Judge Stan Strickland all about Casey's lies and the findings of the canines. Cindy, George, and Lee also appeared in front of the judge telling him what a good mother Casey had been to Kaylee and that they would be more than happy to post bond for her if she was financially unable to do so. In a stunningly stupid show of solidarity, Cindy Anthony said, quote, I know Casey as a person. I know what she is as a mother. I know there is only one or two reasons why Casey would be withholding something about Kaylee, and I believe it's something someone is holding over her and threatening her in some way. End quote. Now, this is all available on YouTube. So you can see Cindy, George, and Lee testifying at Casey's bond hearing and what they say. And they're all basically raving about her. She's great. She's a great mother. We don't think she had anything to do with this, et cetera, et cetera. And I do have to admit, because I'm not a, I'm not like a cold person. You know, I'm not a, I'm not an empty hearted person. I, I felt pretty bad for Cindy when watching her on the stand. She's clearly uncomfortable. She's clearly distraught. She's crying um, uncontrollably. She looks like she's been crying nonstop for days. And overall, she's obviously just having a very hard time with the situation. So I do have compassion for her there. I do not have compassion with her for telling the judge that Casey was a great mother when she'd been going around town telling everyone and their mother that Casey was an unfit parent. But, you know, here we are. It's just like she picks the narrative that fits when she's mad at Casey and she's trying to get her attention on MySpace. And, you know, she's talking to her mom and her therapist about taking custody of Kaylee because Casey's such a bad mother. That was great for her then. But now that she, for some reason, wants to get Casey out of jail, Casey's the best mother ever. And she knows her as a person and she knows her as a mother. And she knows that she would never be doing this unless Kaylee was in danger. I have a question for you. So now seeing what you're saying here as far as what Cindy was kind of saying without saying it and also going back to the clip that we played earlier mm-hmm. my impression and I want to you know I don't know what yours was and, and everyone watching out there listening out there it sounds to me like Cindy and George knew um Casey was driven by affection from men um and she probably had exper- uh, times in the past where she would choose her boyfriends over uh her family and things like that And it sounds to me, at least, just from hearing the recording from Christina and Cindy and the questions they were asking and also the timeline that maybe they know about at this point that, you know, shortly after Kaylee's disappearance, Casey was seen on camera. I don't know if they know that at this point was seen on camera with Tony at Blockbuster without Kaylee, that they may be thinking Tony hurt Kaylee and Casey's covering for him. It's that's what it sounds like to me. And that's just like surface level. But you heard Christina say it right out of her own mouth. Did Tony do something to Kaylee? They're already thinking it. So if she's having that conversation with Casey, Christina probably already had that conversation with Cindy and George. Oh, for sure. Cindy and George both asked Casey at, at different points, like, 
you know, I think Cindy asked Casey, like, did Tony, did Kate, did Kaylee ever spend the night at Tony's? And Casey was like, no, you know, Casey keeps saying he's got nothing to do with this. He's got nothing to do with this. And it's one of those things like, you know, I think she protests too much where they may have been thinking, yeah, like, you're right. Like, maybe something happened. Maybe it was an accident. Maybe Tony accidentally hurt Kaylee. And Casey right now is thinking, well, my daughter's gone. I have my boyfriend. I've got to protect the one I still have. And even that, when she's in jail, the first day she's arrested, who's she trying to call? Tony. Got to call Tony. She called Why? him when the police were there at her house. And she remember, she was texting him like, oh, guess who's going to go to prison forever for this? Ugh. They're probably thinking because they're trying to figure it out. Why is she so concerned about talking? What do they know? What do they what do they have on each other that they're not talking? And and it all goes back to what we were saying earlier in in this whole series. This is in line with the way that Cindy and George operate and view their daughter. It's never her. Mm. It's always an influence. It's always someone else. They've made excuses for this girl her entire life. And maybe some of them were vocalized publicly and maybe some of them were just internalized through themselves as far as how they justified always having her back all the way back to when she was lying about graduating high school. Mm-hmm. They've always found a justification for them personally to to explain why they're doing the things they do. And here we are. All signs are pointing to one specific person. And yet they're looking for an out. They're looking for a justification as to why Casey is not responsible. The only reason she would do this is if she was being threatened. Right. She's doing this to protect. It's like it's it's nonsense. It really is. Nonsense. It's nonsense. Right. It's annoying. It's like it's it's. It's almost to the point where it's like, I'm just sick of these people at this point. Like, I can't trust anything they say and no judge should listen to anything they say either. And it could be a thing where they're just so used to talking shit about each other amongst themselves, but then putting like a united front out to the world because they don't want the the outside world to think that there's anything wrong. You know, and that's why they lied about Casey graduating and stuff like that. You know, pr- probably behind the scenes, they were like, this is messed up, man. We got to lie for you now. We got to like, people are sending gifts and money. Like, what are we going to do? But but maybe they're so used to sh- sort of showing a united front, like I can talk shit about my family, but no one else can. But still, I don't know why they would want her out of jail so bad. You know, like she's better off there. <laughs> it's par for the course, you know, and, and multiple. Th- you can say something or feel a certain way about individuals and, and all of it can be true. You can say in one breath, I don't think George and Cindy were involved in any way with the what happened to Kaylee. But I also do believe that there is an underlying theme here of enabling Casey throughout her life to act the way she did that kind of evolved into this. I'm not saying the death of Kaylee, whether it was accidental or intentional, but the lengths that Casey went to afterwards to try to cover up whatever happened and the fact that she would believe detectives are going to buy the story without validating what she's saying. That's all based on her upbringing. That's all based on what she's been able to get away with her entire life. And there's no way to kind of skate around it. Cindy and George are directly responsible for that. They were in charge of raising her. So you can say in one breath, you don't think they were responsible for what happened to Kaylee, but you can also say they're really shitty parents and they're not someone you want to look up to as far as your own parenting skills and, and how you raise your own kids, because they're definitely missing the mark on multiple levels. So you know, do I think they're genuinely concerned about what happened to Kaylee? Absolutely. But I think that the fact that they're still blinded, even at this point when they're being smacked in the face with facts, is pretty embarrassing. That's what I'm saying. Like, if you're looking for a wake up call, here it is. And if this still doesn't like get you to see the truth, nothing will. It's over. Nothing will ever change that that behavior, that 
that pattern, that cycle that they have become so accustomed to, I think. I'm starting to see the frustration that you've had since episode one and that a lot of our viewers and listeners have too, because I didn't know the case that well. And so I'm getting emotionally involved now and I'm frustrated hearing it because it's like, okay, I've making given you the benefit of the doubt on a lot of things and you've pushed back on it, right? You've been kind of like, Derek, you know what I mean? And I'm like, oh, you know, we got to... Now it's starting to get ridiculous. Yeah. It really, now it's starting to get ridiculous all the way down to the phone calls we just played a little while ago. It's like, come on, what what else do you really need here? Because once again, who's who's Kaylee's advocate now? You know, they're all there fighting for Casey, crying in court, saying all these nice things, offering to put money up to get her out of the place she belongs. Who's Who's fighting for Kaylee? No one. And if Kaylee's really who you care about, you should want Casey there because if you believe deep down she knows what happened, getting her out ain't going to help no, you find Kaylee. No, that's what I'm saying. There's never been any consequences. And here she is facing a real life consequence for the first time probably in her entire life. And they're trying to get her out of that. It's disgusting. I'm with you. So Judge Strickland, he ended up setting Bond at half a million dollars with the conditions that Casey would have to wear an ankle monitor, surrender her passport, and be evaluated by two psychiatrists in order to determine her competency to stand trial. And we're going to discuss the findings of those mental health professionals in a little bit. And it turns out that no one in the Anthony family had that kind of money. I think it was $50,000 they'd have to put up. Uh, So they couldn't get her out of the Orange County Jail, and she remained there for the time being. But while the Anthonys, who were not behind bars, tried to make heads or tails of what was happening, they did so with a 24-7 media circus outside their front door. Everyone was talking about this case, not just in Florida, not just in the United States, but all over the world. And with Internet and social media entering its heyday, you could not find a person who did not know the name Casey Anthony. The media coverage was nonstop, especially on HLN, where our favorite sassy and scandal-hungry lawyer-turned-media darling Nancy Grace spent hours, <laughs> hours yelling into the camera, demanding justice for Kaylee and demanding consequences for her mother, Casey, who Grace began referring to as Tot Mom. And that nickname, as we all know, stuck. Uh, still what people call Casey Anthony. So pictures of Casey dancing in a tight blue dress were flashed across the screen of every news network with the somber, outraged voice of the news anchors, making sure that we, the public, knew these photos had been taken after Casey's daughter had vanished without a trace. Cindy Anthony earnestly told the reporters that she believed Kaylee was alive, and she claimed that she truly believed that whatever Casey was doing was for Kaylee's own good because she was afraid that something would happen to her child if she told the truth. George Anthony, on the other hand, was not as convinced, and he requested to meet with the detectives on the case on July 24th without his wife present, and this conversation was recorded. During their talk, George Anthony told the detectives, quote, where this is leading, I don't want to think about it. I don't want to think about that, but I had bad vibes the very first day when I got that car. I can be straight with you guys, and I hope it stays within the confines of us three, I don't want to believe that I have raised someone, brought someone into this world that could do something to another person. I don't want to believe that. And if it happens, all I can do is ask that you guys can please call me so I can prepare my wife because it's going to kill her. End quote. You know, I I do got to say again, I just got done thrashing them. This is where your head should be at. You know, this is a lot better. This is I didn't know this was coming. It's a lot better. George is in there without me seeing the video myself. It does seem like 
Maybe it's his former police experience, whatever it may be. Oh, I don't know why he was thinking it was going to stay between the three of them. If that's his if that's his former police training. <laughs> no, that's a stupid that's a stupid thing. But I mean, he's not really saying anything incriminating there. He's not giving them anything, anything of substance that's going to be used to you know convict her. But he's basically saying, hey, guys, cop to cop, brother to brother. I know where this is going. I'm not liking it. All I can ask that is if you find something that's going to, you know, lead where I think this is going, you give me a courtesy, maybe even a professional courtesy so that I can prepare my wife, not only for the death of our granddaughter, but also for the charges that are going to come against our daughter. I mean, he's saying it right out. You don't want to believe you raised someone like this, but it's starting It's starting to look that way. And I'm sure the, the detectives are going, we're not going to tell you anything because we don't know if you're involved. But I, I do like hearing this because it sounds like so, he's a little bit more rational than than what we have been hearing, which I get, I'm not giving him props here, but, you know, about time. No, for sure. He's he's a little more rational behind closed doors when his wife's not around because he's a pussy. Right. OK, so Whoa. so hey now. to her, to Cindy, he's like, yeah, we're going to get Casey out. She could never do this to the public. Both he and Cindy are like, yes, Casey is only doing what's best. But behind closed doors, when no one can hear, he's like, I kind of think she did this guy's like, can you just let me know so that my wife doesn't have like a heart attack? You guys don't deserve to have a freaking heads up at this point, man. You let us here and you can't just be out there talking to the reporters and talking to the judge and acting like Casey's an angel and then behind scenes with the detective kept it all between us three you're like I think she did this and I'm gonna need you know some sort of heads up so that we don't get blindsided by this like you don't deserve that right and that could also be an aspect to it where it's like he could be just wanting to know for his own benefit or for the family's benefit so that he can tip people so yeah they're definitely not gonna tell him I mean that's as a former cop, you should know they're not going to tell him anything. Stand up to your wife, man. Stand up to your wife and say, wake up, Cindy. Wake up. This is not looking good for anyone. Okay. Hey, like you're going to have to Are start accepting together? it. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Yeah. Just wondering. I was just wondering. George also told the police that he did not like Casey's lawyer, Jose Baez. He said he knew Baez had a $5,000 retainer, but he had no idea how Casey would be paying him because she didn't have any money besides what she had stolen from them and her friends. George also mentioned something interesting to the detectives. He said that around the last time Kaylee had been seen, Cindy had found the side gate open and the pool ladder set up against the pool. If they were not using the pool, the gate would be kept shut and the ladder would be stored away from the pool, right? So that nobody can accidentally drown in the pool. Yuri Melik had also gotten a call from Cindy on July 16th, the day that Casey got arrested. She had told him that when she'd gotten home from work on June 16th, the last day that Kaylee had been seen by anyone besides Casey, she had noticed that the side gate was open and the pool ladder was up, and she thought that this was strange, so she called George at work to ask him if he had used the pool and left the ladder up. Now, keep in mind, this is far before Jose Baez ever drops a bomb on anybody in court, saying that Kaylee accidentally drowned. So we're going to go ahead and say that that this is probably a true fact that, that that Cindy did come home on the 16th of June and see the pool ladder up and wondered why it was up. Yeah, I think, I you know, that goes back to the whole that this was an accident and that, you know, it was an accident in the sense that it wasn't intentional, but it could have been avoided. It could have been, it was preventable if you're watching your kid. Right. So there are there are there are things about it where if they came home and saw that, I do agree with you. There's probably some legitimacy to it. So you have to ask yourself, what does that mean? And I almost wonder if, because, you know, when when uh, the defense goes to trial, they they ask for discovery 
from the prosecution, right? And and this was probably in the discovery because this conversation with George was recorded. The conversation that Yuri Malik had with Cindy on the 16th of July, that's also going to be in his notes. And I wonder if if Jose Baez saw this and said, here we go. This is this is our answer. This is how it happened. So the whole pool drowning thing could also be a complete red herring, a complete could just be derived from what he was could be derived from what he was reading. It's a great point Uh, to get. You know, we're we only have one more part left after this. So I guess we can kind of like dabble in it. I know we're going to take a break in a couple of seconds, but it's one of those things, too, where when we're starting to talk about the jury near the end and why they came to the conclusion, we talk about other cases where if there's reasonable doubt. You, you have to acquit the person. And so as we're going into this with factors like this, where you have individuals bringing up the fact that there were some things out of the ordinary as far as the pool's concerned with the side gate, would that raise some doubt in your head as a jury member? Possibly. So just something to keep in mind as we're going and we start to get into the trial. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. On July 25th, 2008, George and Cindy visited Casey in jail. And I have to say, I think that their dynamic is very strange. For the first time, it made me feel like we might have an inside look into how the Anthonys communicate and relate to each other behind closed doors. So during this conversation, it seemed like George and Cindy were the children and Casey was the parent. You know, the couple is walking on eggshells. They're trying very hard not to say anything that might set Casey off. And at first, you can see, we're going to play a clip. And if you're watching on YouTube, you'll actually see the interview or the, the I guess, the visit. <laughs> it feels like an interview at points because they're, they're grilling her. It's like an hour long, over an hour long. We're not going to play the whole thing, but you can see them talking to each other and you'll be able to hear it. But uh, at first, Casey comes in. She seems completely happy and relaxed. She's smiling. And Casey asked what T-shirt her father was wearing. And her parents informed her that it was a design they had made to raise awareness for the search of Kaylee. Hi. Hi, sweetie. You can, we've, been, we've been watching you for so long. You haven't? I love you. I love you, too. Hi. We've been seeing you sitting down. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was talking with one of the doctors. We, we forgive anything that you've said oh, or I, done. Hold on, hold on. Can we turn the volume down? Yeah, can, you can probably hear it. My head's going to explode. <laughs> I haven't said anything. Don't worry. You see that? I haven't said anything. Don't worry. You see how Cindy Anthony says... We forgive you for anything you said. And then Casey says, I haven't said anything. Don't worry. What are they talking about? I don't know. I don't know. I know what you're, I, I, I can think I know where you're going with this. Are they like scared she's like snitching them out as far as their involvement with this whole thing? I don't know. Because I, I think we agree that George and Cindy were not a part of this this murder or this cover up. What are they talking about? I th- I bet you if we had to go back there and I had all the archival footage, she might have like maybe maybe Casey had been already telling things to detectives and then detectives were relaying it to them to use them against each other. You know what I mean? And that's a tactic I've used where I'll have because at this point, let's assume that detectives are assuming Casey's involved, but so aren't George and Cindy. We just don't have enough for George and Cindy yet. That's how I would approach it. Parents are definitely in on this. That's what I'm thinking. So as I'm interviewing Casey. The parents don't know what she's saying or what I'm saying. Then when I interview them, I'm trying to pin them against each other to get them to say, oh, she said that. Well, this is what actually happened. So there could be an element I'm guessing here. Total guess. 
that they're getting information from law enforcement or from media that Casey's inside those four walls and she's telling people that these this is her parents' fault, they're somehow involved, you know, whatever it may be. And it sounds like Casey's just like, don't worry about it. I'm not talking bad about you. I it would be pretty crazy to think that this would be referring to some type of criminal element when they clearly both know they're being recorded. <laughs> it's yeah, they know the law, that law enforcement's going to be monitoring this. I would I would think this is something that's really always stuck with me because to me it was like one of two things: like either they are talking about what happened to Kaylee, or they're talking about sexual abuse, worried that Casey might be spilling the beans to her psychiatrists behind the scenes. Very possible. I have no clue. I, I think it's really an interesting segment there where. You know, we forgive you for everything you said. A weird thing to start off with, right? We forgive you for anything you may have said. I haven't said anything. Don't worry. That's why I kind of feel like it might be something that they're coming into the conversation with that may have been put out publicly or may have been put out something that Casey would have known that that, because at this point, like you said earlier, Nancy, great. Everyone's involved in this. They're all talking about it. So they're watching the news and there's probably some things that have been. I know there are things that were said about the parents and their past and maybe some of the rumors and speculation out there. And it sounds like maybe Cindy's trying to break the ice by saying, listen, we love you. Cause that's the first thing she says. We love you. We forgive anything that you've said to them. So to the fact that she said, we forgive you sounds like it might be something more of an, a personal attack as opposed to a criminal element where have you said anything about us being involved in this? That's, that's my initial impression, but purely a guess on my part. I don't, I don't even know I you can know. forgive someone for something you don't even know that they said. Like, what if she said some horrendous things and, and Cindy's over here just like blanket forgiveness for everything you've said, you know? Do you think at this point some of the stuff could have come out about, you know, George, maybe in the news? You know, I, I mean, I don't remember it that Not well. Not at this point, but I do want you guys, if you're watching on YouTube, let us know in the comments what what you possibly think that this could be about because it's so bizarre. And I want to play one more clip from this uh, jailhouse visit and we'll discuss it after. Um, what's that T-shirt? I didn't get a chance to ask him, you know, other things Kaylee's picture's on the back. Is it? Can dad yes. show me the shirt? Yeah. Turn around so you, she can see. It's the oh. hope, Never Lose Hope Foundation. Do you see it? I can see part picture. of it, yeah. Have you seen me? And then it has the information on how to contact. Okay. Casey, you don't realize that the whole United States is looking for our Kaylee. I know that, Mom. Her cover's going to be on People Magazine in a few days. Okay. Everybody is looking for her. Oh, good. Everybody is looking for her. Are we going to be able to find her, do you think? I hope we can, Mom. All right, can I weigh in first here? Yeah. I know I'm like the cheerleader for them, but you, you have to... Dude, they think that she did it. They definitely do. That The way she's talk, the way Cindy's even talking to her right there, are we going to find her, Casey? That's what she's saying. She's inferring, like, you know what happened to her. Tell us. Like... I know they may not say it publicly, but they know they know that she's involved. Yes, I can see it with my own eyes. Like they definitely know one, whatever happened to Kaylee, Casey knows what happened. And two, there is a very high likelihood that Kaylee's no longer alive. I, I truly believe that's what that says. I mean, you guys all judge for yourself. That's where I'm that's where I'm at. It's just it's so annoying to me that they're like, Oh yeah, look at this shirt, and she's gonna be on People magazine. And, you know, later on in, in this this I, I keep wanting to call it an interview, but visit. Uh, Casey's like, Mom, you know, I've been hearing about you. Like, they say you're a spitfire like me and nobody should mess with you. Like, you're you're famous, you know, like people are talking about you. 
it's just so odd. And you can see that when Cindy's like, everyone's looking for her. Casey's like, good. And that's yeah. it. Oh. Oh, yeah. No, no, no emotion whatsoever. But you see this dynamic, right? Like her parents are being very careful. Like they don't want to say anything to set her off. They don't want to say anything to upset her. They want to keep her in a good and happy mood. I don't know what they're hoping to do. Get information from her. They're not going to get information from her if she's grumpy. They're not going to get information from her if she's happy. They're not ever going to get information from her. So at what point do you look your daughter in the eye and say, we know you did this. We know you're irresponsible. You're going to fry, sweetheart. So you better start talking. Scare the shit out of her. This is this is not working. This little pussy footing around. Oh, sweetheart, we miss you so much. Look at this shirt. Tell her that she's going to get the electric chair and scare the crap out of her until she tells you what you want to know. Because if there's one thing we know motivates Casey Anthony, it's self-preservation. It's one of those. I, I truly believe that they're like tiptoeing like they probably have their whole lives around, you know, not wanting to set her off, not wanting her to have a temper tantrum. They're trying to keep her on the phone. But my gut, my heart, my eyes, everything is telling me right here as I'm looking at Cindy. And by the way, if you're listening on audio, even if you're not a visual like YouTube lit watcher, just go to this part in the episode and you have to watch it for yourself because the audio, we're going to have it in the audio, but it's not going to do it justice. You got to see it with your own eyes. Like I'm seeing this for the first time. And regardless of everything I've said about Cindy and George, that to me is a, a conversation that I've had with my daughters over something trivial where it's like, I know the answer to this question already. Just tell me. Just tell me. You know, it's okay. You can trust me. Yeah. Peyton, I'm going to go upstairs right now and I'm not going to find all the lip gloss poured all over the floor, right? When I already have been up there, I already know deep down it's a, this just happened like a day ago. That's why I'm bringing up it's a really <laughs> sore subject because my carpet's ruined. Oh no. Anyways, <laughs> she's asking a question that deep down she already knows the answer to and She's just looking for a visual. You can see how close she is. Look at the body language. She's leaning forward. She's looking at the camera. She's She knows her daughter. As crazy as it is, she knows her daughter better than anyone. Mm -hmm. And she knows when she's lying to her. And she's trying to get a read on her right now. That's my takeaway on it. She's definitely trying to get a read. Not for Casey, but to try to find Kaylee. I mean, she just wants to find Kaylee. She, what does she need to get a read for? She's read this book a million times <laughs> for over 20 years. Yeah, true. What are you trying to get a read on? And I tell you what, if it's my kid... I'm going to be like, dude, you're going to get the death penalty. And if you don't, I'll kill you myself. So either way, you're dead. You better tell us what the hell's going on, man. Yeah, but then Casey's going to go click and hang up. And now you Freaking lost her. Click and hang up. Then she's on her own. Don't give her money to get her out. Don't be a support system for her. You do your job and help the police and look for Kaylee because this is a lost cause. Set her out like a Viking funeral. You know, push her out to sea and then throw a lighted bow and arrow at her and freaking let her let her fry, honestly, at this point. And, and uh, I just, I don't, I don't, and then freaking George Anthony sitting there like a freaking mute Barbie doll just to be posed, like, show, show her the back of your shirt, George. And he's like, okay. Well, Casey, Casey asked, Casey asked to yeah, see he's it. he's freaking not even saying anything. He's just sitting there like, I can't believe I'm part of the charade, you know? But he can't, he can't hear or he can't hear her. No, but he's, he's just. He's just sitting there. He's like, moping. He's just sitting there. He's literally, I think he's thinking like, I can't believe I'm part of the charade. Like, I can't believe that we have to, to sit here. And freaking kiss this girl's ass, hoping she'll tell us something about where our precious grandchild is. Did information ever come out that this this setup was actually uh, maybe uh, police were involved, where they were cooperate were cooperating witnesses at this point, Cindy and George? No. Maybe they sent them in. I, I was just wondering if there's any, ever something that came out since. No, nah, man, they didn't send them in. No. I think the police were uh, pretty suspicious of them for- They for, thought they could be yeah. involved as well. Uh, understandably Maybe not so. even thinking you can be involved, but thinking like- <laughs> <laughs> to spawn something like Casey Anthony, 
you got to have some skeletons in your closet. So we're not going to trust you. Yeah, there's more to the story. Fair enough. Strongly recommend. Even if you don't go watch the video yourself. Uh, yes, the whole thing. You should you should listen to it. It's insane. Yeah, that that uh, this little part that we've played so far, it's definitely it tells me something. Weigh in the comments below. What do you think in seeing this little section? Do you think it's more uh, a self preservation thing for Cindy, where she's kind of like trying to cover her own tracks by asking, "Are we going to find Kaylee?" When in reality, she already knows because she's involved. Or is it something where she knows Casey's lying and she's genuinely trying to get a read on her daughter as to whether. Kaylee's still alive or not. T- a little tough love never hurt anybody, okay? That's what that's what Cindy needs to start doing. You give me tough love every episode. Yeah, stop it. <laughs> but you know I'm right, and it's what's best for you. Oh, here we go. <laughs> so during this, this interview, Casey puts on a good show. She sheds a few tears. She's being nice to her parents until they start to question her about Zanny. And then she gets like kind of aggravated and short. And she keeps trying to take the the topic and the subject like off of Zanny. And she's like, what do you know what's going on with my bail? You know, am I going to get bail? What's happening? And it's pretty clear to me that Casey's making things up as she goes along. You know, they're they're saying, tell us more about Zanny. Like anything you can remember about her, anything, even the smallest detail is important. She's like, well, I think Zanny's mother's name is Gloria. And I think that her father's name is Victor. But he's not a real father. He might have been her stepfather, but he adopted her. And, you know, Zanny has a sister, a sister named Samantha. Samantha has the whitest name possible. And Samantha and Zanny, they've got different dads. And like I said, she keeps trying to change the subject off of Zanny. And she tells her mother, like I said, you know, you're getting all this praise in the media just like I am. Everybody says we're not to be messed with the Anthony women. And it's so clear that every time they're prying or trying to get information about Zanny from her, she changes the subject and tries to like blow smoke up her parents' ass and and things like that. She doesn't want to talk about Zanny because everything she's saying, she's making up on the spot. Yeah, I agree. I have no more comment on the whole Zanny stuff because I think at this point, for me at least, it's debunked. There is no no Zanny the nanny. And the one person who could be Casey herself couldn't identify her as the person. So it's a, it's a dead issue for me. Anybody out there who still believes there there is some validity to this theory, I I love you, but I can't help you. They're in the Cindy Anthony school of denial. <laughs> I, can't, I can't help you at this point. So on July 29th, Linda Burdick from the prosecutor's office offered Jose Baez a deal of limited use immunity for his client. The sheriff's department had previously made a statement that, quote, FBI lab tests, along with additional evidence that had not been made public, leads investigators to believe that there is a strong probability that Kaylee Anthony is deceased, end quote. So limited use immunity, it's a legal term. It's used to describe a deal in which limited immunity is offered to the defendant, but it is a slippery slope, especially with with Casey. Um, so it means Casey's own statements, they couldn't be used against her in a court of law. But those statements could be used to find evidence that then could be used against Casey in a court of law. And if Casey were to lie in court, her statements could then be used against her during cross-examination. So if you lie in court, then that that immunity deal is like off the table and, and it's no holds barred. Right. Yep. And I mean, I'm sure Jose Baez was like, Casey, we probably shouldn't take this deal because I mean, you can't open up your mouth without lying. So we'll be 30 seconds in court and the deal's done. So uh, they did not take it. They didn't even really inform the prosecution's office that they weren't taking it. The deadline came for Casey to accept the deal, and then there was no word from Baez. So the deal went away. On the outside, everyone was looking for Kaylee. 
Some people were just good Samaritans hoping to rescue the little girl whose face had been all over their television sets. Others were simply interested in the large reward being offered for information about her disappearance. Cindy Anthony called in Texas Equal Search. Um, Texas Equal Search, if you're a true crime fan or follower, you have probably heard about this company before. They're they're in all the big searches. They, they basically just train people to be like professional searchers in search parties. They train them how to search in grids. They train them how to like flag things and not touch them. And, you know, they're they're very good. And Cindy thought that the police in Orlando were not doing enough to find Kaylee. So she called in Texas EquiSearch. The circus outside the Anthony home continued and it got worse by the day due to something called the Sunshine Law in Florida. So the Sunshine Law basically guarantees that the general public can have access to public and governmental records in the state of Florida. It's meant to provide transparency. Um, I think it's awesome. I think every state should have a law like this. I really do love the Sunshine Law. It would be I mean, I filed a million FOIA requests and (laughs) barely any of them ever get approved or looked at. And then if they do get approved, they try to screw you over. And they're like, yeah, you can have these records at $400 a page, you know? And then you're like, oh, shit, I I can't do that. So you're kind of always, as as somebody who's trying to investigate something, you're always sort of cut off at the knees with this this thing where you can't get the records. But in Florida, they're pretty much wide open. In this case with, with Kaylee, it meant that anyone who knew how to file a request for information would get an inside look into the police investigation. And then you've obviously got media companies uh, doing these FOIA requests. So they're getting the information and then they're publishing it for the people who don't know how to file a request. So basically everybody knew. And they were kind of knowing what was happening in the case as it was happening. And as I'm sure you can tell from the several hours we've spent going over what Casey was doing during the month that her daughter was missing, there was plenty there in those records to send outrage through every single person. Normal concerned citizens turned into an angry lynch mob sitting outside the Anthony home, yelling baby killer at their tightly closed and locked doors, holding up posters with Kaylee's face on them and chanting, where's Kaylee? Where's Kaylee? Now, at random times, both Cindy and George Anthony would exit their homes to confront these people, providing plenty of unflattering footage for the surrounding media cameras who are just waiting for someone to like get punched or knocked out. So you've got tons of of footage of Cindy and George Anthony just like screaming in these protesters' face and just it's it's messy. It's very reminiscent of of the laundry home that we we saw play out just a couple of months ago. Yeah. No, I, I saw some of the videos. You see them screaming in each other's faces, all that stuff. I mean I personally don't think it's productive. I think uh, it's it's not going to bring them to come, you know, to their knees where they're going to eventually, you know, I think some people go there like if we pressure them enough, they'll just confess. It's not going to work. It'll do the opposite, if anything. So I personally don't feel it works. Um, I don't think in, it doesn't help the case at all. And I do think there's an element of people that go there just because, you know, even just like OJ, they just want to be on the news. Right. So I, I'm not for it. But, you know, it isn't it isn't. Part of it now, I guess, especially as social media continues to take over the world, it's going to become more and more prevalent. Yeah. And I mean, you see this in a lot of of ways. You know, this happened in Scott Peterson. And then did you ever see the movie Gone Girl? Yeah, I've seen Gone Girl, of course. And I mean, listen, even more recent, Gabby Petito. Yeah. I mean, what do you need more than that? We didn't even have a lot of the facts and people were filling in the blanks and sitting on their front. Now, we have our feelings on the parents, Mm -hmm. right? But we're not standing in front of their house. Never. So- 
So that's because there's, there's always a slim it. chance, even if you feel so strongly, there's a slim chance you're wrong and you're just screaming and harassing innocent people. And, and that slim chance prevents me from ever acting like a fool. Well, not ever. I act like a fool sometimes. But <laughs> <laughs> not, not in this capacity. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm with you. I think it's a good train of thought to be on. Let's take our last break and we'll be right back. On August 11th, a meter reader named Roy Kronk stumbled upon something in the woods not far from the Anthony home. I'm talking half a mile away from the Anthony home. Roy was a meter reader for Orange County, and he had just done, uh, you know, the Anthony Street suburban drive. He was reading all the meters, but he had to pee. So he pulled over and he went into the woods, which was kind of like a swampy area, to relieve himself. When he left the woods and got back into his vehicle, Roy called 911 and claimed that while he'd been peeing, he'd been sort of looking around. You know, we, we, people do that, I guess. I, I don't know. I'm not a man. But if you go out and pee in the woods, you're probably looking around, not just staring at the ground. And he spotted what he thought was a gray bag partially submerged in water. And near that gray bag, he saw a small whitish object that he believed resembled a human skull. And I'm going to play that 911 call for you now. Hi, I don't have it. I always, I always, I called a non-emergency line. If I'm How can I help you, sir? Uh, I'm a meter reader with Orange County, and I had the route today that included the Anthony's home. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I went down to the school and came back. And when I was coming back, I stopped between the two swamp areas there. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about or not. No, but go ahead. But there's a stretch of road there that goes from like the, where they started their road is down to a school, and and in between it on either side there's a swamp. And if you're heading back out towards the main road uh, on the left-hand side in an area, I noticed something that looked white, and there was a uh, like a gray bag down in there. I don't know what it is. I'm not telling you it's, you know, it's Kaylee or anything of that nature. Okay. And there's like a big swamp area there, and there we found a dead four-foot uh, eastern diamond rail back there, but that's not really the thing. There's like two little in areas you can go, and there's a big, long tree laying down. And there's a lot of swamp back in there. Well, back behind one of the trees down there was a gray bag. And then a little bit further up than that, I saw something white. But after I saw that uh, four-foot uh, eastern diamond rattlesnake, I'm not going in that crap. Okay. I'll let him know. I appreciate you. And I once again, I had no idea what it was. So and I don't want to waste any more of the, the county's money. But I'm just telling you I saw something. Not a problem. Thank you, ma'am. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. The 911 operator thanked him for the information. And she said she would pass it on to the relevant authorities. Roy Cronk called again the next day on August 12th, and he repeated what he had seen the day before. Sheriff's Office? Yeah, hi. My name is Roy Cronk. I'm a meter reader with Orange County. Yesterday, I read the Anthony's route. Uh, uh, we got done. Uh, I got done, and I went down. Do you know where the school is down there at the bottom of the suburban? Uh-huh. I called this in yesterday. I don't know if this is what you all looked at today or not, but uh, on the way back up, I stopped. Uh, in the middle there, where there's a swamp, there's a, if you're coming out, there would be a fence on the right-hand side and just open, you know, swamp area on the left-hand side. I went down, uh, well, I had to take, you know, I went down, and there behind one of the trees was a gray vinyl-like bag, like a pool cover or something like that. And it looked rather suspicious. I didn't touch anything. And then a little bit further up, you can tell where someone ran across with a mirror, but the weeds are still real high in that area. There's a fallen tree that looks someone had tried to cut on it at one point, but there was a white board hanging across the tree, and there was something round and white underneath of it. And uh, I don't know what it is, but it just 
didn't look like something that should be there. Okay, sir. I'm going to send this call up. I'm going to take a look for the bag. I also have another phone number that I need you to dial. If the phone number is set up for anything doing with the Kaylee investigation. Oh, what, the trust line? Yes, sir. I really rather would not be an accounting employee and all that. That's why I'm talking to you all. You can still do it, regardless if you're a county employee. You can remain anonymous. Not if they find a freaking body. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, sir. You can still remain anonymous if they do find a corpse. Please do that. Do you have the phone number? Uh, what is it? Go ahead. 1-800-423. Uh-huh. Uh, hold on a second. 423. Tips. Thank you, Joy. I really appreciate it. Not a problem. Once again, he was thanked, and the operator also suggested that he should call the tip line, the Kaylee Anthony tip line. A deputy was sent to the area that Kronk had indicated. He looked around for a bit, but he claimed he didn't see anything, so he left. Roy called 911 again on August 13th, and this time the police sent two officers to meet Roy at the area near Suburban Drive, where he'd seen these suspicious items. Uh, yeah, my name is Roy Clark. I'm a meter reader with Orange County. Called in a tip the other day, and they said they would dispatch an officer out to me when I got there. And I'm here. All right. I'll have okay. somebody out there as soon as I can. All right, thank you. You have a good day, sir. You too, bye. Bye-bye. The first deputy who arrived walked toward the water line. Like I said, this is a forested area, but it's Florida. It's very swampy, and we're also talking August. Uh, there had been a lot of rainfall the previous couple of months. Kronk said that the deputy walked back towards him after going to that area, and he was, like, slipping on the uneven, wet ground. And Kronk claimed that the police officer got within six feet of the object but never touched it. Now, when the police officer returned to the road where Kronk was waiting, they argued about whether or not a dead child's remains would have been skeletal by that point. The deputy told Kronk that he was wasting the police's time, and Kronk felt belittled by this accusation. A second deputy arrived just then, but he didn't even go into the woods because the Orange County Sheriff's Department was under the impression that this area had already been searched and cleared by crime scene investigators. Due to the way he had been treated after calling three times and taking his own personal time to drive out there to show the police exactly where and what he had seen, Roy claims he gave up trying to make them listen, at least for a little while. Yeah, terrible. Really quick doesn't have to mean it's it's exactly how it sounds, right? I think that the police were inundated with tips coming in. Again, everyone wants to be involved. Everyone knows where Kaylee is. There's probably multiple sightings. They're going into the situation with this preconceived notion that the area has already been searched and therefore nobody could have missed anything. And they're not doing their job. They're not doing their job. It's that simple and pretty embarrassing for both of them that they were within feet, uh, especially the one officer was within feet of Kaylee's body and and you, you, you didn't spot it. Probably not a good sign that you're going to be a good detective one day. So, um, yeah, I'm embarrassed by that. Embarrassed by that whole that whole chain of events. Yeah, it's really, really uncomfortable. And then, you know, we are, we're going to talk about this in, in the next part. But Jose Baez, like, just skewers Roy Crunk on the stand and basically tries to accuse him of planting Kay- Kaylee's body there to try to get the reward like super uncomfortable. So on August 14th, Cindy and George Anthony visited Casey in jail again and Casey came into the visiting room with a cheerful composure, excited to see her parents. But when she noticed that her mother Cindy was crying, she immediately got annoyed and asked her father George, quote, why is she crying already? End quote. Her parents asked her again if she had any information for them and, you know, had she found out anything new and she snapped at them. She was like, I've been behind bars for her for a month. How could I possibly have any new information? And Casey then rudely tells her mother, Cindy, like, listen, I don't want to talk to you. Give the phone to to dad. 
George is actually the person I want to talk to. And so Cindy gives him the phone. The following conversation is so weird because George Anthony clearly and easily defers to his daughter. So we're going to play that clip. Good morning. Good morning, beautiful. I love you. Hi. I love you, too. Why is she crying already? Because we haven't seen you. I know. Hey, hold on one second. Miss Baker. Hey, sweetheart. Hey. Hey, listen, I want you to know, you are the boss through this whole thing. Okay. Well, no, I'm not anymore, Dad. I haven't been since I got oh, here. Yes. Oh, yes. yes, you are. You, you, you are the. Th- think of this for a second. <laughs> Dad, you, you, I've been listen, listen. Okay, listen. No, I've no, been just thinking listen to me about just for this. one moment. Okay, just listen to me for one second. Okay, listen. Think of you, you owning this conglomerate, this huge business. Jose is one of your employees. So is the sheriff's department. So is the FBI. So am I. So is Lee. So is Mom. You know, we're, we're all working with you. And if for some reason something's not being said or being done, you can make a change. You're the one that can say, listen. I've please, told please. Jose. No, I've given him the information to give you guys. We've given the information. You guys have given everything to the police. They're not helping us. It's obvious. We know their intentions. So I'm sorry. I've helped in every way that I possibly can since the day I got here. Okay, they well, didn't ask. even give me 24 hours to help them, the police, without putting me here. Okay. So it's obvious where everybody's intentions lie. I know you guys want Kaylee. I want Kaylee more than than anybody can understand, but I can't do anything. I can't do anything from where I'm at. Okay, let me ask you this. If, if I can make some arrangements just to meet with you just one-on-one, just you and I, or, or Lee or Mom, would you be open to that? Because I can do it with, within a matter of just a few hours. Dad, this was already discussed, and I already said yes. Okay. <laughs> this is, was something that we had already discussed. Supposedly, it was supposed to have already happened. Well, there's been some... I understand there's... To, ...to change that. There's nothing been on my part to change that, or mom's part, or, or your brother's part. Believe. No, I understand that. It's not I you mean, guys. I, I... guys. I told these guys within an hour I can be ready. I want to hug you. I want to talk Look, to you. They're... Just, just, Just you and I. Jose is making sure that I'm well aware of everything that's going on. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's I don't I don't understand what's happening. You know, he's like, hey, beautiful. And once again, just blowing smoke up her ass. It's coddling. They're coddling her like they've probably done their entire life. But he says, like, you're the boss, you know, and she says I'm not anymore. So it kind of gives me an indication that she has been the boss before, that they have deferred to her, that it is that dynamic that they have. And she's frustrated. He's trying to help her. And he's being very calm and nice. Like I said, way more calm and nice than I would be at this point. <laughs> it's We're talking August, August 14th. So she's been in, in jail for, you know, about a month. And and as far as they know, Kaylee's been missing for, what is this at this point? Two months? Two months Kaylee's been missing. And she has the balls to ask, why is, why is mom crying already? Why is mom crying? Cindy's been crying every single day because her granddaughter's missing. Why aren't you crying is the better question, I think. Right. It's a lot of the same stuff. I mean, I think we've all established at this point the dynamic of the family and it's not a good one. And I think they're tired at this point. It's been, like you said, almost two months. And a a reasonable person at this point may think, yeah, there's still a possibility. But more than likely, Kaylee's, Kaylee's dead. 
And I think that's part of what's coming over Cindy as well, where it's, she's looking at her daughter and she's knowing she's not telling them the truth. And they just want to find Kaylee at this point, dead or alive. And they're they're exhausted. I'm sure every day, 24 hours a day, you know, it's a People lot. People outside and their house, not letting them sleep. They're out there trying to search, you know, yeah. They're con- they're on the news everywhere. Doing interviews left and right, yeah. Yep. So during the time she was in jail, Casey told everyone who called or visited her that she wished so badly, so badly to get bail so that she could get out and help search for Kaylee. So hotshot Sacramento bounty hunter Leonard Padilla offered to put up her bond with the hopes that once she was out, he could get information from her, which would lead to the location of Kaylee. On August 20th, Padilla had a secret meeting at an IHOP with Casey's legal team, and he gave them a check for $50,000 to get Casey out of jail. When Casey was released, she was sent to the Anthony home, where Leonard Padilla was waiting to extract information from her. Padilla claims that while he was talking to Casey, a pizza was delivered to the house, and then another pizza was delivered, so the family began to eat the pizza. Leonard asked Lee Anthony, you know, did you guys order the pizzas? And he claims that Lee said yes, so he started eating too. But when a third and fourth and fifth pizza were delivered, the Anthonys finally confessed that they had not ordered the pizzas, and Leonard blew up at them. He asked them, like, do you guys think this is a game? You know, at this point, Casey Anthony was the most hated woman in America. Somebody just sent five pizzas to your house on the night she gets released from prison. Someone could have poisoned those pizzas and you guys are just eating them with smiles on your faces, not even knowing where they came from. Like, what's wrong with these people, right? So Leonard's pissed. Poison's the worst case scenario. I could think of a series of other things that could be in that pizza. There probably was a series of other things in that pizza. Yeah, there (laughs) probably was. That's disgusting. Okay. So Leonard tried to get Casey to tell him something new, which she did, right? She told him an entirely new story, a different story than she had told the police. And this story consisted of Zaneda physically like holding Casey down in a park while she was kidnapping Kaylee and then presenting Casey with a list of things she wanted her to tell the police. According to Padilla, he became angry He realized that Casey probably just couldn't tell the truth. And he told her, quote, I didn't come 3,000 miles and leave my chihuahua to listen to this shit. End quote. Now, if you see, you probably see if you're watching on YouTube a picture of Leonard Padilla. He's a big guy. You know, he's he always wears a cowboy hat. He's the kind of guy that would put spurs on his sneakers. And he's mad that he had to leave his chihuahua to come and listen to Casey lying. So Casey informed him. She was like, if you're going to talk to me like a cop, you can leave which he did, and she never saw Leonard Padilla again. But for the short time he was in her home, Casey had talked to Padilla's head of security, a man named Robert Dick. And he claims that she told him she hadn't known she was going to become a celebrity, and she wondered if she should start selling autographed pictures of herself. Now, within a week of being released, Casey's friend Amy Hazinga pressed charges against her for check fraud, and so Casey was back behind bars. During the several days she was out of jail, Casey made no effort to look for Kaylee or add anything productive to help anyone else find her. In October, the prosecution decided to take the physical evidence they had to the grand jury. In his book, Imperfect Justice, Prosecutor Jeff Ashton said, quote, From the evidence we had collected thus far, our conclusion was that the child had decomposed in the back of her car and Casey had attempted to bury the body in her backyard with the shovel she borrowed from a neighbor, 
The story she told was clearly false and, in my opinion, showed an unmistakable consciousness of guilt. Whether it was because of this guilt or something else, she had been prevented from actually burying the body in the backyard, so instead she stashed it in a place where we had yet to find it. End quote. So what what the theory was was that she had dug that hole that George Anthony found with the neighbor's shovel, right? But the dogs didn't sense any like human decomposition or anything in that hole. So they were the prosecution was thinking she must not have ended up going through with it. I think that's a reasonable scenario, right? Because what's a random hole in the backyard from? Exactly. I think you only said it was about how deep was it? Five inches? You said 12 inches wide, five inches deep, I think. Yeah. So that's not very big. She probably was like, this is too much work to freaking dig a hole. Honestly, when you were saying it, that's what I was thinking. I'm thinking she's going to bury her in the backyard because there's a private area that no one can search without their consent. Right. So that's your first thought. Bury her in the backyard. I won't be seen transporting the, I won't be, you know, seen, you know, dumping the body in any public area. There's no chance for witnesses, right? It's on my own property. However, as you just said, she's trying to dig it herself. And for anyone who's tried to dig up ground, especially any deeper than like five or six inches, starts to get really compacted, really difficult. And um, when you think about the size of even a small child, that's a lot of uh, growth you have to dig up. And it would be very obvious to anybody who comes there to look for Kaylee that that area was recently dug up and then refilled in, right? You wouldn't be able to cover it quickly enough for no one to notice it, especially if her parents weren't involved, right? So that's a non-starter. So I do agree with you. She starts to dig it, realizes this isn't going to work. Not only is it difficult to dig, but even if I'm able to pull it off, you're clearly going to see this spot in the yard that was dug up and then refilled in. So that's when she makes the decision to dispose of Kaylee's body at a different location, hidden from eyes that may not ever be found. Where she can just toss her, uh, you know, to the side like a bag of garbage and she doesn't have to dig a hole because God forbid she should break a sweat. Well, and, and that's something we had talked about when we talked about the shovel and her asking for it. That makes more sense to me. Because she it brought it back within like... an hour, remember? And he said she wasn't dirty. She wasn't sweaty. Exactly. And and Kaylee doesn't appear to have been buried. You had said that there was a lot of flooding and that could have like washed away some of the dirt on her if it was. I personally, whether you believe it's Casey or not, I do. I don't think, like you just said, I, I think she was dumped there. She wasn't really covered much and there was no use for the shovel. Well, because she was in a bag, right? So she's in a bag. You can just throw her. Just put her there and hopefully nobody finds her. Anybody passing by, if they see it, they'll think somebody threw their garbage. Out the, yeah, out the door. Yeah. yeah. The shovel theory as far as it being using it, I mean, I, I I challenge anybody out there to kind of bring up a different theory for why Casey was looking for a shovel, returned it an hour later, and it just so happens to be a small area that was dug up in the backyard. That would take, you know, a little, probably less than an hour, but she probably contemplated it for a little bit and then brought it back when she realized, no, this isn't going to work. And maybe she was actually digging up a bamboo root. Maybe. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for doing that. While your daughter's missing. Reasonable doubt. Yeah. <laughs> Reasonable doubt. The bamboo root. So one of the hairs that had been found in Casey's trunk, it ended up being consistent with a hair from Kaylee Anthony. Now, unfortunately, the root of the hair was not present, so it couldn't be tested for DNA. So you know where the root goes into your skull. If it, if it gets pulled out, there will be like not enough for us to see with the human eye, but skin present that you can test for DNA. But this was not the case here. But under a microscope, this hair compared to one taken from Kaylee's hairbrush, it looked similar. Further, mitochondrial testing on the hair showed that it had come from a female member of the Anthony family, 
but the hair was untreated hair. So it was assumed to be Kaylee's. And when I say untreated, I mean this hair hadn't been colored or permed. And both Casey and Cindy Anthony had in the past treated their hair. So this is basically the hair of a child, that nothing has happened to it yet. Additionally, Karen Korsborg Lowe, a forensic specialist with the FBI, she claimed she had found what was called death banding on the hair. This darkened band found at the root of the hair, according to Karen and other specialists, it shows that the hair came from a decomposing body. The experts had also done something that was considered cutting edge at that time. They took an odor analysis of the air from Casey Anthony's trunk, a technique developed by Dr. Arpad Voss. Dr. Voss had compiled 424 compounds that were associated with the process of decomposition. And according to him, he found 41 of these compounds in the air of Casey's trunk. And he claimed that nearly all of these compounds would normally be found in the early stages of decomposition. Additionally, FBI laboratory results also found levels of these compounds in the air of the trunk using a gas chromatography mass spectrometer. According to the FBI technician, 67% of these compounds were associated with human decomposition. These FBI lab tests also showed that there were high levels of chloroform in the trunk of the Pontiac. Additionally, Dr. Neil Haskell, a professor of forensic science, he examined samples from the trash bag found in Casey's trunk, as well as the car itself. He claimed he found the presence of microscopic flies, which he called coffin flies, in the garbage bag as well as in the trunk. Haskell said he found about 15 to 20 adults and an abundance of larvae, especially on paper towels found in the garbage bag, leading him to theorize that the paper towels had been used to wipe away decompositional fluids. Haskell said that blowflies are usually the first insects to arrive at a decomposing body, and he did find a blowfly leg in the garbage bag attached to one of those paper towels. He also said that as the body goes through different levels of decomposition, the blowflies lose interest and other types of insects move in. Haskell said that the entomological evidence found in the trunk indicated that the body of a child had been in that trunk, but it was removed after a few days. I won't rehash everything you just said. This was when we first opened up this case. This was what I mainly focused on, on Dr. Oz. And we were talking about it, this specific thing. And for me, and I am former law enforcement, but this was the smoking gun to as far as whether or not Kaylee was transported in Casey Anthony's vehicle at any point. Um, there are some people that still dispute it. Maybe you're going to get into that. But I think there's a couple things you can take away from it. And for me, it's that. Kaylee was definitely in that trunk after she was deceased. Um, You have multiple different things, whatever you want to go with, whether it's the gases, whether it's the banding on the hair, whether it's the coffin flies, the the coffin wax, they called it on the paper towels, which whatever you pick your poison, pick your poison, what you want to choose. And then we can get it. So that's the was she transported in that vehicle? I think it's an overwhelming. Yes. Then you get into the. means of which she was killed right now. That's something that we're all still trying to figure out. But as you alluded to this high amounts of chloroform found in the air in the car, in the trunk, that's not something that's normally found there. So that gets into the, the idea that she was intentionally killed, right? She was suffocated. She was killed. And so you can start to go down that path as well. But I think one thing, if we're just to compartmentalize here, I think it's with a reasonable scientific degree of certainty that Kaylee Anthony, after dying, was placed in that trunk for an extended period of time, maybe a day, maybe two days, maybe three days, but she was there. And it goes back to what I said earlier, 
There's no evidence that someone else had possession of that Pontiac Sunfire for that duration that would have been able to kill Kaylee or take Kaylee and do that. Because as we know, Casey had her vehicle that night. She had it at Tony Lazaro. She had it in her possession. So again, reasonable person here. If she's the only one in possession of the vehicle and you have scientific evidence to support Kaylee was in there. And we also have evidence to suggest Kaylee wasn't heard from or seen by anyone after that particular time. Do the math, guys. You know, that's that's where it comes down to. And I'm not saying it to you. I'm saying jury members, things like that. So that's the big takeaway here. That's kind of what we uh, laid out on the show. Nancy Grace was on it as well. And it's like this is for her, as you've pointed out, very emotional. She was crushing this right here. This was her, you know, like this is common sense at this point where you have to believe that these people doing this, these experts know what they're talking about. And they're not looking specifically for Kaylee in some senses. They're just saying, hey, listen, we deal with a lot of dead bodies. This is not something we would find in a trunk unless there had been a dead body in it. Exactly. Exactly. And let's talk about some of what transpired between Casey and the mental health professionals who had been tasked with figuring out if she was of sound mind and body. Now, when I first went into this like years ago, I was like, they're definitely going to find out something's wrong with her, right? We've been saying it. Like You would think. Th- th- she has ta- She has to have some sort of mental issue that causes her to be the way she is, right? So uh, let's talk about what they found. When psychiatrist Jeff Danzinger first met with Casey in jail, he made notes stating, quote, mood good, reading books, keeping self-distracted, calm, bright affect, no feelings of guilt, not hopeless, sleeping fine, appetite okay, weight stable, energy okay, concentration normal, able to read, surprisingly cheerful, not manic, end quote. Danziger noted that Casey's cheerful and upbeat attitude was a surprise to him, considering she was sitting in jail as a suspect in her daughter's murder. Dr. Danzinger gave Casey an MMPI test. This is a psychological test that assesses personality traits and psychopathology, and it's primarily intended to test individuals who are suspected of having some kind of mental health disorder. Dr. Danzinger said, quote, There are two reasons I did the MMPI. First, it's a high-profile case, and I thought it's worth taking the extra hour and a half to have her do it. Second, I wondered about her defensive profile. I wondered, could she be deliberately minimizing, consciously saying, I'm fine, nothing is wrong with me, when that is not so, end quote. So basically, Casey, he wanted to see if this was a defense mechanism, right? If Casey acting like she had this bright affect and she was cheerful and her mood was good and she was sleeping fine and eating fine, he wanted to see, was this some sort of defense mechanism where she was really like torn up inside, but she was putting on this this fake facade to to trick people and something she had probably gotten used to doing all through her life. Casey's MMPI test came back completely normal with elevation found in only one area, the male-female scale. This indicated to Danziger that Casey might be a bit of a tomboy. She might be more interested in traditionally masculine things like cars. And, and that was pretty much it. Like, that's the only thing that stuck out to him. Danziger said, quote, I don't see anything that meets the criteria for a mood disorder, anxiety disorder, an eating disorder, or a substance abuse disorder, end quote. Another psychiatrist, Dr. William Weitz, who would later be hired by Casey's defense team, he had Casey take the TSI test, which stands for Trauma Symptom Inventory. Dr. Weitz also reported that Casey was not suffering from a personality disorder, saying, quote, there are lots of behaviors that are required in an antisocial personality. There has to be a number of them in order to even meet the first criteria. 
In order to diagnose antisocial personality disorder, there must be a history of evidence and diagnosis of a conduct disorder before the age of 16. Not only does it not exist, but Miss Anthony's behavior is completely opposite to that. Miss Anthony shows no history of any juvenile problems. There's no indication of problems with peers or teachers or authority figures in school. There's no evidence of acting out, misbehaving, disturbance whatsoever. In fact, she wins awards for helpfulness. She's liked by her school teacher, principals, and peers. She wins the Citizenship Award. She wins the Junior Achievement Award. She's on the sports teams in soccer, volleyball, and in track and gets accolades. I've read them. Basically, there's no history of violence, aggression, any commitment of any behavior that would be antithetical to rules and regulations of school, of churches, of the legal system. Her behavior is conformity. I acknowledge that she has told lies. She has told distortions. She had misrepresented things, and unfortunately, that's not the only criteria for antisocial personality disorder. There's nothing in any of the psychometric subscales that I looked at that indicates any evidence of psychopathy, end quote. Dr. Weitz was asked if there was evidence of a narcissistic personality disorder, to which he replied, quote, she likes to be liked. She wants approval. She really likes to focus certain things on herself. Having narcissistic qualities is not the same as having a narcissistic personality disorder, end quote. He said that for Casey to have killed her child, she would have had to have gone through some sort of psychotic break, some psychotic episode. Both mental health professionals believed that while Kaylee had been with her mother, Casey was a devoted and good mother to her, and they could see no motive for why she would have wanted to kill Kaylee. So I could summarize my thought on this whole thing. That was a lot there. Very congrats. You nailed that whole thing. It's a long <laughs> quote there. But for me, what that says is, okay, there's not an underlying psychological disorder. Then she's a product of her environment. Then she's a product of the way she was raised and what she was allowed to get away with. So to what you've been saying this entire time and to what a lot of people say, the reason we're looking at Casey Anthony through this lens and who she is today, all these videos and audio and the stories, there's no justification for it where she should have been on medication for it. She's just a shitty person. And a lot of that was from the parental skills that were or lack thereof throughout her childhood that allowed her to get away with these things. And she wasn't taught right from wrong. So that's that's my takeaway. Blame the parents for a lot of this, you know, there are some things you can't control, but I was giving them the benefit of the doubt. I thought there would be a mental illness associated with it. And if you're to believe this one doctor, which we will say, you know, very subjective, you could have two other doctors examine her as well and both diagnose her with some type of disorder. But if you're going to take this one at face value, but it's two, two doctors who said the same thing. All right. So two doctors saying the same thing. Well, then what is it? Well, it's it's what she was taught. It's how she was raised. I mean, either way you slice it, it's not it's not good. No, that means there's no fixing it. No, there's no fixing it exactly. And as far as she would have to have a a, a breakdown to have killed, Kate, I don't know about. They all both that. said that they both were like she was a good mother. There is no reason we can see why she would have done this. They, like they kind of lost me at she was a she was a good mother, but I mean you know from all the reports from everybody who knew her, she was a good mother. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... Never even raised her voice to Kaylee. Everyone's entitled to their opinion, I guess. I, I mean, ugh, yeah, we don't know. So <laughs> yeah, we, we, don't we know. can't I don't have know. the opinion, I'm... but from everything, there's not one person, and you'd think by now, right? If somebody had seen her even raise her hand to Kaylee or yell at her or use like derogatory language with her, 
that person would have come out by now. Yeah, I think that's fair. So on October 14th, 2008, a grand jury heard the evidence against Casey Anthony. And within two hours, they came back with the decision. First degree murder, aggravated child abuse, aggravated manslaughter of a child, and four counts of providing false information to law enforcement. Now, remember, this is the grand jury. So this isn't the jury that would later find her not guilty. This is a grand jury. And, and we we talked about it in the, the John Bonet Ramsey case. Sometimes the the police and the DA, they will bring a case to a grand jury just to sort of see what will happen. And this is all kept very secret. When this is happening, Casey wouldn't have known about it. Cindy and George wouldn't have known about it. Nobody would know about it besides those people involved. Her pretrial date was scheduled for the following December. But before her actual trial would even begin, meter reader Roy Cronk was back in that swampy area on Suburban Drive. And when he saw that the suspicious gray bag and whitish object that looked like a skull was still there, he moved into action. Within hours, everyone watching their television would see the breaking news. The remains of Kaylee Anthony had been found less than half a mile from the home of the Anthony family. And that's where we're going to end today. When we come back next time for what I what I believe to be our final episode, uh, we're going to go over the trial and we're going to talk about how Jose Baez, Casey Anthony, and her defense team basically try to shut down all the physical evidence. And hopefully by doing that, we'll have a better understanding of how the jury could come back with a not guilty verdict. Yeah, I have nothing to add. I mean, it's a good, you know, good spot to end it. We'll end it next week. We'll end it next week. It's a good spot to end it now. We'll end it next week. Hopefully. It might be a long episode. No, yeah. not us. Yeah, longer than usual, maybe, because there's going to be a lot to fit in, you know, and we're also going to have our final opinions and stuff. I wish we could just do 10 parts of this because there's there's enough for 10 parts. But I think Derek's Derek's running out of of energy. No, I mean, listen, it's it's one of those things where you got to go through it the right way. You want to be thorough. And we're building our own catalog so that people can say you should cover Casey. Anthony. Well, we did. We covered that case in 55 parts. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do think there's a point where, you know, anybody who's in the podcast space, we've been covering it for almost two months now. And if you think about it right now, and I'm not complaining here, but we're at six parts and we're over. 12 hours of recording, of recording that you've seen, not the recording that we do, the edited <laughs> version. We're over 12 hours. That's not including any research that you've done, Stephanie, research I've done. It's just a lot of Casey Anthony, more than I care to remember. So you do, I think, get a little um, fatigued by it, but we're in the home stretch. We're good. We're going to finish strong. Yeah. I mean, I could, I could just talk about this case for a hundred hours. It's so, it's so uh, just, riveting to me like it's you know you're you're constantly going through it and trying to find some logic trying to find like you know the place where it all falls together and you're like that's why she did that or that's why they did that and it just never never pops up so it, it's very riveting and and there's so much to look into and and because we have so much i mean we have all the police reports all the evidence and everything that was collected during this case is available to, to anyone who knows how to find it. And and that's why it's, you know, somebody made a comment on uh, our last YouTube video and they were like, Stephanie doesn't have access to. Yes, I do. I have access to all the police reports. Everyone does. Anyone does. The Sunshine Law, man. As soon as that stuff was released, media outlets were posting it. There's PDFs of everything all over scribed. I mean, the stuff's all there if you know how to find it. So, so yes, I do. I have access to all that stuff. You guys do too. So uh, just... Keep that in mind as we go through this. That's that's all. Oh, I think it was that the police hadn't checked the Anthony's cell phone, like George and Cindy's cell phone records. Um, I, I don't think that they did because it's not anywhere 
in any of the the police records. They do say, and we we say in law enforcement, if it's not in the report, it didn't happen. Now, and I, when we brought that part up, you know, I'm not going to dispute it. If it's not in there, it's not in there. I, I, you know, based on the detectives and how you've described them, I think it would be like damn near impossible for them not to get their phone records. It was so long after, though, you know, they they don't keep that stuff for that long is what I'm trying to say. So they might have tried to get it and only to be told by Verizon or Sprint, like, we don't have this stuff anymore. It's been it's been over a month or it's been two months. They don't keep your phone records for longer than a month. They can't. I mean, you're the Verizon. I'm not. I'm not. I mean, I know for Verizon and that because I worked there and I had many angry customers come in and, you know, wanting to know what was my who was my daughter talking to on this day? Because of this, this, and this. And I'd call Verizon and they, well, they can't, they can't keep all that stuff. They don't have unlimited space and they have a lot of people who have phone service with them. So they keep it for a short amount of time and then, and then they, they have to get rid of it. I'm not going to argue with you because I never, but I, I would think they would have it longer than that. But damn, if that's, that's a very short period of time, I would think you'd be able to hold, hold on at least six months, six months to a so year. Of- you would, you would be able to see like, for instance, who they had talked to, you know, and, and especially now with technology and stuff, you have like the My Verizon app where you can go in and look at like your, your cell phone records, but they wouldn't be able to pull like GPS and stuff, which is what we were concerned about. We wanted to know if George was home at a certain time, when he left, when he got to work, things like that. Yeah. I would think that the longitude and latitude would be tied to the calls, but me, you know, I'm not, again, I'm not no expert and I'm not going to sit here and speculate, but you know, it's possible, but if it, if, if it's possible, it wasn't there, but if it was there, I would like to think these investigators would have at least did it, but to everything you're researching, if it's not in the report, you, how are you going to, how are you going to speak on it if it's not there? And it's not in any of the books that, you know, I've read f- four different books written by four different people on this case and it's not anywhere in those books. So if it was there, it wasn't relevant, I guess, enough to bring up ever anywhere. So let's uh let's end it here because it is almost one o'clock in the morning. We've been recording since 830 and that's that's <laughs> that's how it is every week. And we will see you guys next week. So until then, Derek, why don't you take us out? All right. Till then, you know, you guys can find us right Crime Weekly Pod for all our social media, crimeweeklypodcast.com for you know if you want to check out information about us there's not a ton on there you can leave a speak pipe if you want also patreon if you want to sign up for patreon it's patreon.com slash crime weekly appreciate you guys checking us out bye we'll see you next week bye. 